Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Welcome to Brave. Hey, turn to somebody next to you. Give them a high five and say, we're glad you're here. (laughs) All right, all right. Up in our uh, Brave Kids room, they have a worship time. And every Sunday when the kids are coming in, there's this song that plays and it says, grab somebody, give a high five, <laughs> grab somebody, give a high five. And they just, it never gets old. They do it every, every Sunday. And many of you uh, with, with parents or kids who, uh, they, they get hooked on one of those soundtracks or musicals, you know what I'm talking about. The songs never get old. And uh, man, seeing you guys, your smiling faces, the high fives, the, are we going to have a good morning today? Yeah. yeah? All right. Well, we're continuing our Gospel of Mark series. And so if you have a Bible or if you want to go to Mark chapter 4, you can follow along. But also, our ushers, they have notes. So if you didn't get notes and you want to follow along there, it's printed in the notes. And if you raise your hand, they'll get those to you. But we're going to begin Mark 4, starting in verse 21. So let's read this together. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed. Instead, don't you put it on its stand. For whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Last Sunday, Pastor Darren taught on a parable of the sower and the seed. And it's this sower, and he's got this seed, and he's throwing it out, and it's landing on these four different types of soil. And the fourth soil was the good soil. And this is the soil where the seed took root. It started to grow deep and would eventually sprout up into something that could produce fruit. And so we were challenged to assess the soil of our own soul. Is the soil of your soul good soil? Is the gospel taking root? Is your life bearing fruit? And so in this passage, 
we're continuing on with these kingdom stories, these parables, and we see more stuff about seeds and farming, and then Jesus switches it up, and he talks about a lampstand. Now, honest question, is anybody confused? Okay, because I was a little confused. As I'm reading all these different, there's all these different metaphors, there's all this stuff, and the way that we usually think of stories is very different. I mean, there's a lead character, there's some struggle or some tension, some drama, they overcome some stuff, there's character development, there's a happy ending. But in these parables, which were their stories, it's very different. It's full of metaphors, and they're, they're pointing to deep things. And so as a modern reader, that's kind of how I would look at these today, at least these three parables, is that they're metaphors that are trying to tell us something. And so today, we're going to look at these stories that are pointing to deep things. But before we do, Jesus has a warning for us. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. You can hear what I'm sharing. You can read the words of Jesus for yourself, and you can still completely miss the point. We have barriers today that the original audience didn't have, language. It was, the Bible was written, and this, these words were spoken in a different language. They were in a very different culture. It's thousands of years later now, a very different time. But this is interesting. Even the original audience viewed these stories almost as coded messages, things to figure out, like a puzzle. It wasn't, even for them, straightforward. And you know, great communication strategy is usually, hey, keep it simple, Stick to the point. Don't bury the lead. You want people to walk away understanding something that you're saying. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's got a different style here. So Jesus, he's communicating radical truth and controversial things in a way that people can can walk away and think about it and discuss it and consider it without being totally blown away by the implications. If they knew everything God was going to do up front, it would have been too much to handle. And this is kind of, in a way, this is a picture of how discipleship works. Maybe you can think back to when you first decided to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're one of the many that just decided to follow Jesus in this last month here. But at the point that you decided to follow Jesus, even if you were told very clearly what it means to follow Jesus, that that when you decide to follow Jesus, he's now Lord of your life, that the purposes for your life are now connected to the purposes of God in this world. And even if you understood that and you knew what you were signing up for, what you're committing to, you probably still have a lot of practical questions. Like, does this mean I have to listen to different music now? All of a sudden, am I supposed to like (laughs) K-Love? Right? Anybody? (laughs) Um, That's just me. I love worship music. Does this mean, my wife loves Caleb, by the way, but does this mean that I have to move out? I can't live with my boyfriend anymore, or I can't live with my girlfriend. Does this mean we can't have sex anymore? What about my work? Is my work holy? Does it, how does it connect to God's work in this world? Am I allowed to drink? Or how about this one? Can I smoke weed? And I'm not going to go there today. Some of you are like, where is he going today? This is going to be interesting, right? Good, good. Uh, what's tithing all about? What about our money? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with our money? Um, what about calling? What if God calls me to go somewhere or do something that I don't want to do? What if God's plan for my life is different than my plan for my life? Listen, when a person first decides to follow Jesus, and for a while after that, there are probably going to be more questions than answers. But what Jesus is saying through the use of parables is that if you had all the answers, 
If I told you everything I'm going to change in your life right up front, it would be so overwhelming that you'd probably quit. You'd probably reject me. Jesus, he didn't call his first disciples and go over the plan with them and and explain everything. He kind of tricked them. He didn't call them and say, hey, I know you're expecting this kingdom, and you're expecting we're going to take over Rome, and we're going to do all this stuff this way, but we're actually going to do it this way. He didn't say, hey, come follow me, and then I'm going to go on a cross and die, and then I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to leave you again, and then it's going to be yours to figure out, right? And then it's all in your hands. Like He didn't tell them this, but by the end of things, by the end of it all, their level of devotion was so high that many of them died a martyr's death for the cause. And so like these crowds and the disciples listening to Jesus speak, we can read these parables today and and only be ready for so much. If we knew the big picture of what God wants to do in our lives, we might reject it. We might not be ready. But here's the cool thing, is that we probably have a lot of questions. All of us have questions. But our responsibility today isn't to figure everything out. And it's not to know everything. It's to hear directly from God, God, what is my next step in following you? What is the next thing that you're leading me to do? Today's talk is titled, There is More. Hear hear this, there's always more when it comes to following Jesus. No matter how long you've been following Jesus or how, how short an amount of time, there are always next steps throughout our life. And so we're gonna bow our heads right now and pray because we're going to ask God to give us ears to hear so that we can hear what he's saying to us. Let's pray. God, I believe there are things that you want to reveal to us today. For some, maybe it's a glimpse of this big picture of where you're taking our lives. For others, maybe it's a very specific next step that you're leading us to. But this life of faith with you, this is an adventure. And as you invite us to look at these parables and to hear from you, I pray that we would find more of you that we'd find more of who you are, more of who you created us to be, more for our families, more for our community. God, I pray that we would find more of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's take a look at the first parable. The first parable is about a lamp stand, a lamp on a stand. And Jesus said, you wouldn't hide a light under a bowl, you'd put it on a lamp stand. And then he says in verse 22, for whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever's concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And in verse 24, he then goes on to talk about a measure. He says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So number one in your notes, there is potential for more. There is potential for more. Um, When I was in middle school, I served on the usher team at the church that I grew up in. And my mom and dad uh, pastored that church. My dad was usually speaking. And I remember we got this new mic. It was one of these kind of mics. They were just becoming kind of a thing, thanks to Britney Spears. And uh, so we got one of these mics. And so he's like kind of new to using it. And I remember we were between gatherings. And we were resetting the room and doing some stuff. And we heard this sound. And we're, we're looking at each other. And we're like, man, it, it kind of sounds like someone's peeing. Is someone peeing in here? Like, what's going on? It was coming through the speakers because he went to the restroom and forgot to turn his mic off. <laughs> and I wish that I could say that only happened once. So let's give him a hand. 
Actually, we just got really good sound, guys, and they just mute it now, so we're covered. Like, I actually forgot to turn my mic off after the last gathering, um, so we've got some backup plans. But if the point is, is that the, the reason that we could all hear what was going on in the men's restroom is because a mic was on. And if Jesus were here today, he'd say, when you put on a microphone, you don't cover up the end with tape so that no one can hear it. Of course not. Whatever is said or done in private will be broadcast to everyone. And there's this promise here that Jesus is making about the kingdom. He's showing us something that though I'm speaking in parables now, and these things are, in, are, are seemingly in secret, eventually everyone will hear and everyone will know. Everything about God's kingdom is for everyone. So no matter how hopeless things may look, no matter how bad they feel, how bad they look in the news, how bad uh, your life or things that are going on, no matter how hopeless the world seems, he's saying there's going to be a point where everyone sees the light. Everyone knows me. And, and all of these secrets are revealed. When you have private conversations in your living room or in your home, when you're at dinner and you're, and you're sharing about what God's doing in your life, and the things that God's done for you, when you share those things at home church, there's a mic on. And it's not just you. There's going to be a ripple effect. There's a broadcast of that moment. And it is making a dent in the world. The light will be seen. And the impact is bigger than we think. The second thing that we see is a warning. Jesus says, be sure to listen, because this is important. An easy misunderstanding of this passage is kind of like as if he's saying, the more you give, the more you'll get. The more you put in, the more you'll get out of this. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you're in the crowd, if you're in the audience, you can stay at this superficial level of faith. But in the end, you'll completely miss what I'm doing. People, who, uh, people are saying that American, in the first time in American history, the Christian church is in decline. I actually saw this on one of my friend's um, Instagram stories. He was meeting with some spiritual leaders, and there was this quote on the thing, and it said, for the first time in American history, the the church is in decline. And I thought, not at my church. Like, you don't go to brave church. Like, but we're in, like, one of the toughest places in the world for the gospel, one of the most most opposed and and non-religious places in the world, and that's not true. And so I'm like, man, what's going on? The gospel is just as effective today as it has ever been. 2,000 years later, and people, their lives are being changed. They're coming to know Jesus. This is happening here at our church and other churches. And so I did my own research. And I Googled some stuff. And I found this article that's recent of of some research from Christianity Today. And, And this is really interesting. It says, Christianity isn't in decline. Denominational Christianity is in decline and something known as the Christian middle. And so in this article, there's a quote. It said, we're not seeing the death of Christianity in America, but we are seeing remarkable changes. Culture is shifting, and the religious landscape is evolving. But instead of the funeral of religion, at least in part, we're witnessing the demise of casual and cultural Christianity. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus is saying there's no good outcome for the lukewarm. Casual or cultural Christianity in the end leads to losing your faith. Revelations 3.16, it says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You can flirt with faith for a little while, 
But if you hold back from a real commitment, eventually, even what you have will be lost. Now, hear me. I don't say this to guilt anyone. That's not how we motivate people around here. That's not how God motivates us. But the point is, is that, that the loving, Jesus is issuing a loving warning. He's letting you know, hey, you can camp out here for, not camp out, but you can be here for a little bit. You can hear all this stuff. But at some point, if you don't move beyond, if you don't make a commitment, if you don't decide to go from, I, I, I'm hearing about faith, uh, there's, there's some seeds or whatever, and it's starting to whatever, but now I'm going to be faithful. But now I'm going to take the steps that God's leading me to. I'm going to believe that there's more And I'm going to take those steps. And so he's saying, this is really important. It's kind of like a marriage. And and the reason I'm, I'm really honing in on this, I mean, I think we're all aware that marriages are under attack. Are we all aware in this room that marriages are under attack? Yeah. So it's not a mystery that when you start drifting apart, there's a loss of love. If you're not growing closer together, you're not growing in love. There's no middle ground, though. The middle ground is drifting apart. And it's the reason that many, not all marriages, but many fail. Jesus is saying this about your faith. He's saying you can't hang out in the middle. You can be there for a little while, but if you camp out there and you stop pursuing more, if you don't cultivate the soil of your soul, you'll end up with nothing. This is what it means to order your life in such a way that says God first family second, whatever else you put, put below that. God first means that your life is a continual pursuit of more. It means we're not drifting. It's not a phase of life where you're really feeling it, where you're just really passionate. The circumstances all line up. It's a faith that becomes faithful. This is a call to go deeper, to take things that you know, whatever you've learned so far, and to build on them because there's more. And there's more that God has for you. The next parable is the parable of the growing seed. We're just going to go deeper into how this happens. The parable of the growing seed. Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Number two, there is promise in the unseen. I love this metaphor. It's kind of like a sequel to what we learned last week. Um, The seed's been scattered. It's found some good soil. And then it goes underground to be developed. God develops underground. You can't always see it. It's not the part that we're most excited about. It's completely unseen. And it leads to something that sprouts up, that has deep roots, and is able to bear fruit. So here's what we need to catch. What God is promising is developed in a place where no one's looking, and it leads to something we're not expecting. What he's promising is developed in a place where no one's looking, and it leads to something we're not expecting. See, the people of God, they were expecting to get their land back, but God gave them the world. They were ready for a physical war, and instead they were assigned to fight a spiritual battle. They thought they were going to need to take lives, and instead they ended up giving theirs. Our vision 
is often very different than God's vision. Maybe God's promised you something. He's promised something to you, and he's trying to give it to you, but it feels like there's a delay. Maybe it feels like you're stuck. Maybe God's saying, will you let go and trust me? Will you go underground and let me develop you and do this in the way that that I do it best? Fear will always keep you from the more that God has in store. This fear could be insecurity. This fear could be trying to hold on. This fear could be an unwillingness to allow God to shape your life. There's an awesome story about a couple, John and Jessica Morton. John's actually right here in the front row. So let's give a hand for John. Well, little shout out. Um, but man, we got to share their story of adoption last year at Easter. And it was amazing, amazing. And it popped up on my Facebook because it had been about a year since it was shared on social media. And they, in their story, they were talking at the beginning about how it was never their plan to adopt. It wasn't their plan to get married and then adopt. That wasn't in their heart. And then after years of trying, doing everything they could, praying, every every thing they knew to do, and even watching all of their friends get pregnant and, and the, the challenge of that, just, you know, it wasn't an easy time. And then after years of this, God started speaking to them in their devotion time about adoption. And he said two things specifically, do not delay, and I have a specific child for you. And so then they began this journey of adoption, and it wasn't easy, and there were challenges, but community and people, some of you in this room, rallied around them. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. It's expensive. There was all this stuff. But what, what John said at the end of the video, he said, this is the path that's always been the plan. It just took us a few years to discover it. And when we said yes to God's plan, everything came together. God had a plan for them to be parents, but it didn't unfold the way they were expecting. That's okay. Neither did Jesus. Jesus, nobody saw the way Jesus was going to come. Nobody understood the way Jesus was doing things. He did things that humanity did not expect, but he also did things that humanity needed. How often do we miss what God's trying to do for us? Because we're so latched onto our expectations and how we want them to happen and what we want God to do that we miss what we need, that we miss what he's trying to show us. What if sometimes the prayers that we're praying are more of an attempt to get God to fulfill our plan. But if instead we would listen, he would tell us about his. And his plan is better. Maybe you're preparing for your vision, but God's trying to prepare you for his. Uh, it's interesting when we look at Jesus's ministry in Galilee, you know, here he is speaking to these crowds. He's got a local crowd. He's in a boat. He's talking to people on the shore. It doesn't look like a kingdom movement. It doesn't look like the start of a revolution. It doesn't look like what they wanted, so they killed him. Jesus' life on earth was the seed time for God's long-promised harvest, which leads us to our last parable, the parable of the mustard seed. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Number three, there is power in small beginnings. There is power in small beginnings. Jesus asks, what shall we say God's kingdom is like? How should we describe it? And in one of the best known passages in the Jewish Bible, the 40th chapter of Isaiah, the prophet asks a very similar question about God himself. 
He says, to what will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? And this isn't just an accidental echo. This passage is about a fresh vision of God. God, the creator, coming to rescue his people, all powerful. See, Jesus wanted Israel to know what their God was capable of, that he didn't even compare to the pagan gods and the idols that they worship, that this is a God who can and always will fulfill his promises. So as we look at Jesus's ministry and this kingdom movement that's starting, that doesn't really look like much. God's saying, don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate how I build things and how I start things in my kingdom. It's like a mustard seed. This is Jesus's picture of how God grows things in his kingdom. To God, small beginnings are powerful. God builds from small beginnings. And he even warns us not to look down on small beginnings. This is a pattern that we see all throughout scripture. Uh, Think of David, King David. He was a shepherd out in the fields. And then God calls him and appoints him to be king. And then we have Moses. He's an orphan. And God uses him to lead his people from slavery to freedom. And then even in the 12 disciples, there were very unlikely 12. They, they, they weren't chosen. They weren't qualified. They weren't the smartest. We know this because if they, if they had been chosen by another rabbi um, to be mentored or to be taught, they wouldn't have been available. right? But they were free agents because nobody wanted them. And so that's who Jesus chooses to build with. It's like a mustard seed. We, we have a story film that we share in the fast track. We just completed it a few months ago. And some of you might have seen it. Some of you might have been through the fast track a while ago, so you wouldn't have. But it's the story of how Brave Church started. It's called Brave Beginnings. And it's a story of faith. It's a story of a mustard seed. And I want to share this with you uh, because it's important to know the kind of community that you're a part of, the DNA, the culture, but also, I hope that God will inspire some of you in the small beginnings that he's leading you to, the seemingly small, insignificant, or, or, or impossible things that God might want to do in your life. So check this out. So I was part of a great church over in the Sacramento area. I was on the executive team there. And I began to feel a burden about the Bay Area and just knowing that there's so many people in this valley and region that are uninterested in Jesus. It was 2011 that we really knew that we were supposed to actually come here. And so Tracy and I began to talk about it and we thought, you know, let's just go over and start to pray in the area. We'll just take prayer drives. We've done that our whole lives. And so we knew like one couple in the area at that time that we felt comfortable to contact. And we just said, is there some place where there's a view or we can look over the valley, a mountaintop or something just so we can pray for people? And they said, we know just the perfect spot. So they took us to this parking lot. We prayed over the area. We just said, God, what what do you want to do? We, you know, I'm too old to do something in my own strength. I want it to be something that you want that's on your heart. And then several months later, I just... I don't know how to describe it. It was just a very clear prompting from the Holy Spirit. And that was, God said, I'm going to do a quick work. And I knew at that moment, I had to step out in faith and leave a very secure role and position at a really, really great church and take this step of faith. And so we did. And and I resigned from that position, not really knowing what the future would hold for us. So right from the beginning, everything was a step of faith. And... Um, as wonderful as things have, have been going in our lives and God has been blessing and just really doing great things, it wasn't always easy. 
And uh, I called my son Samuel. He was down in Southern California because I knew that he always has had a heart for the Bay Area. And I said, Samuel, I said, your dad's getting ready to leave it all. We're going to go for it. We're going to plant a brand new church. I remember I was 25 years old and I was in the middle of an incredible season in youth ministry. And my dad called me up and he asked me to pray about moving up to the Bay Area and helping them start a new church. And at first I'm just like, no, like I'm 20 minutes from the beach. I'm right by Malibu. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. I'm 25. This is a good spot for me to be. Uh, but then I went away. I told him I'd pray about it. And I went away and I began to pray and to really, you know, process like, man, God, wh where do you want me? Where do you want me? And I remember it was the strangest thing. Like I, there were all these little signs of, of the Bay Area that was like God, almost like God was like calling me and affirming what was in my heart. And then the more I started to pray and I just realized, man, God's going to do some amazing stuff. I don't want to be down here hearing the stories. I want to be a part of the stories. And so that's when I called my dad up and I said, hey, I'm in. I'm coming to the Bay. So it was a Saturday morning and uh, everything we owned was in a U-Haul. And there we drove uh, over into Dublin uh, into this house. And I, I was just amazed that we got to rent the house because when the landlord showed us the place, she says, what's your job? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, what church do you pastor? And I said, well, we haven't actually started it yet. And uh, she rented us the house without having any income. Like literally we had one week's worth of paid left when we moved here. It was a huge faith journey. Uh, we were we were really dependent on God in this season. You know, when you're on mission and you're you're like taking steps of faith and God's leading you, you're just looking around. Every opportunity, every person you meet, you never know what it could lead to, and you're expectant that God's going to do something through that. And so I was at a Pete's Coffee right off uh, Bollinger. I meet this guy who's a local pastor. And I told him about what we're doing. We're coming to start a new church and we're really excited. And I told him about my dad and I said, man, you guys need to meet. You guys need to connect. My dad was meeting with all these different local pastors in the area. And so I gave him his info. They connected. And so a couple weeks later, he began to ask my husband all kinds of questions about, you know, what he has done and, you know, all, all just everything. There was a point in the conversation where I wasn't sure if he was welcoming me to the area or interrogating me. And so I just shared my heart with him. And then at the end of that conversation, I'll never forget it. He, he said, well, who knows what God has for us? Well, the next time we got together, it was like he said, you know what? God's really put something on my heart. And um, I feel like that I'm supposed to give you our church, our, our campus and everything. And uh, you, you can start your new church in our location. And I said, what? Wow. When God told me I'm going to do a quick work, I had no idea that he was thinking this level. And so we were just amazed. And I'll tell you, from the moment I met him at that coffee shop until the moment I became the pastor here, it was 50 days and I'll never forget it because the day that we drove up to the church property onto the parking lot, I was astounded because the parking lot that we drove up to was the very same parking lot where nine months earlier, Tracy and I had come and met our friends there to pray. It was the exact same location. And I, I, tell, I love telling this story. It's just like only God could orchestrate all of this. And we are just so grateful for what God is doing. So here we are, and we came to build the kind of church that Jesus came to start, the 
kind of church that loves its community, the kind of church that can't be contained or evaluated by a few hours a week, the kind of church where people's needs are met, where their material needs are met, their need to find significance, a lack of community in their lives, their spiritual needs are met. Here we are, we're building that kind of church, a place where everyone's welcome. It's true that it was a huge step of faith for our family. I'm so grateful for my wife, Tracy, for Samuel, for Isaac, who were willing to come together for a common vision for the kingdom of God and to plant a church, the kind of church that Jesus would want to start. But I also am so grateful because our story can never be told without including you in our story. All the hundreds and thousands of people that we now know, we believe the best is yet to come. And we're going to give our lives to helping people find and follow Jesus. So that's our brave story. But what's your brave story? What brave thing is God starting in your life? There's a point at the beginning of every great story where a few people or a person says, man, we know this is crazy. We've got to do this. And at the beginning, the odds are stacked against you. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe you don't have enough resources or even the confidence to step forward or, or, the, or the bravery to take the risk. But God isn't asking for those things. He's asking you to take the step and believe that there's more. And believe that where he's taking you is a place that he's going to provide for you, protect you, and and that he has a plan. So what's God asking you to do this morning? Uh, My family and I, we we started doing this thing called Orange Theory. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's just kind of crazy. Uh, But it's a workout class, and you wear a heart rate monitor either like around your uh, chest or on your arm, and it tracks your heart rate. And there's this screen, and up on the screen, you've got a square. There's like a square for every person. And based on the level of intensity and how fast your heart's beating, the color changes from gray to blue to green, eventually to orange, and then red. By the way, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, uh, I don't get referral credit. Um, This isn't a plug for Orange Theory. (laughs) But uh, the goal is that if you can get 13 minutes out of the 50-minute workout in that zone, then you'll burn at a higher caloric rate for the next 36 hours. And so their goal is to get you into that zone every workout. And when they go to that point where they're just going to tell you to push and to go all out, the music starts ramping up. It's like this house music that's just going. And everybody's like yelling on the inside and yelling on the outside. And the instructors, they say something. They say, you should feel uncomfortable. You should feel uncomfortable. But sometimes I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Like sometimes I don't even want to go because I know they're going to yell at me and tell me to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's not until you get into this zone where you're uncomfortable that you have something to gain, that there's something of value that you can grab hold of. Some of us, we want more, but we don't want to be uncomfortable. Some of us are afraid of failing. Maybe that's been your story in your past and you've experienced failure, but God's writing a new story. Some of us are worried about what other people are thinking. You're the person in the the fitness class that's going for it, but then you you start thinking about the person to your left or the person to your right as if they're thinking about you and maybe they're evaluating you and they're looking at you, but let me let you in on a little secret. They're not thinking about you. They're just trying to survive 
Like they're focused on their goals. This is when you're not sure if you want to go to a home church because man, what if, what if people judge me? What if they don't accept me when I start opening up? Or maybe you want to step up at work, but you're like, I don't know. What if they don't think I'm capable? What if they don't think I can do it? This is when you're pushing into the growth zone. But as soon as things start to get a little uncomfortable or scary, you settle back down to where you're comfortable. Listen, Jesus never promised a comfortable life. He promised a significant one. And this is what he's calling us to. Let's bow our heads and pray. I want to pray for you. Then we're going to worship a little bit more. And then Pastor Darren has a special announcement to make. But let's hang in this moment right now as we respond. What is it that God is calling you to that's, that's maybe a little uncomfortable and maybe doesn't feel so good on the way there, but, but the outcome, the potential is amazing. God, I pray for every person in this room that if there is a brave story or if there is a next step, no matter how big, no matter how small, that we would rest in your promises, that we would trust in your faithfulness, that we would take the next step and say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.